Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's Scripture Reflections. Welcome to Inside the Vatican with America Media. Each week, veteran Vatican reporter Gerard O'Connell and I take you behind the headlines for an intergenerational conversation about the biggest stories out of the Vatican. Last week, Jerry and some of our colleagues sat down with Pope Francis for an exclusive interview, which has caught global attention in part because the Pope singled out two Russian minority groups as being particularly cruel in the war in Ukraine. To hear an assessment from the head of the Catholic Church about the cruelty of specific nationalities, namely Buryats and Chechens, protecting civilians is at least very strange. He certainly couldn't have known this firsthand. So I think the Pope has unwillingly become a channel of uh, Kiev's propaganda. Together, we'll analyze some of the Pope's most newsworthy interview responses, including on Ukraine, and we'll give you the inside story behind this interview. I'm Colleen Deli. This is Inside the Vatican. Good morning from New Orleans, Jerry. Good afternoon from Rome, Colleen. Jerry, you've had a really busy week uh, while the rest of us were relaxing with our families for Thanksgiving because on Tuesday, November 22nd, the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, you and several of our colleagues from American Media had an exclusive two-hour sit-down interview with Pope Francis, and that was published on Monday the 28th, so you spent the Thanksgiving break getting the text ready and everything. This interview with the Pope was wide-ranging. It included questions on political polarization in the U.S., a lack of trust in the U.S. Bishops' Conference, touched on the war in Ukraine, transparency on sexual abuse cases, even women's ordination, uh, encouragement to Black Catholics, and discussion of the Vatican-China deal. So on this show today, we're not going to try to cover all of that. We'll discuss some of our highlights from the interview in the second half of the show. And of course, for our listeners, we really encourage you to read the whole interview. It's linked in the episode description. But Jerry, let's spend the first part of the show talking about the story behind the story, which we promise to our listeners every week, taking them behind the headlines. Just tell us how this came about. Well, it was long in the making, obviously. Yeah. And on the 8th of October, the Pope gave his decision that he would have us interview him on the 22nd of November. So we had more than a month's lead-in, six weeks. And then uh, we started preparing. Let's run through the uh, the guest list. So it was you. Father Matt Malone, who is the outgoing editor on the 30th. He completes 10 years as editor-in-chief of America Magazine. And he has brought about the transformation of a magazine, a print magazine, to a multimedia digital platform. Yes, I think when Matt joined, the staff was about a quarter of the size and several editors were still using typewriters. <laughs> so we've come a long way. And then we also had our incoming editor-in-chief, Father Sam Sawyer. He is very digitally minded. He's a great person to bring us forward into this next 
part of our history, I think, as a as a digital publication. And then you had two women, Kerry mm-hmm. uh, Weber, who is the executive editor of American Magazine, mm-hmm. and uh, Gloria Purvis, who runs the Gloria Purvis podcast. And of course, you were in the room and your wife, Elisabetta, was working as the translator uh, because we knew that she could keep this all confidential. <laughs> yes, the Pope wanted uh, to do it in Spanish. Mm-hmm. He had the option of asking one of the Vatican Secretariat people and he opted for Elisabetta. Cool. So it was his choice. Well, this was very nice because... Uh, We've both known him a long time, and so it was a great atmosphere. But before that, Colleen, some of the people from New York arrived on the Sunday. Everybody was there by Monday lunchtime, and we had a sit-down in the hotel where Matt was staying, very close to the Vatican. And uh, we had an hour and a half, I think maybe two hours, discussing the questions which we had already discussed but it was a question of who would say what, what would be the precedence, the order of the questions, and also a discussion on the choreography of the meeting, as it were. Tell me about that. What was the choreography like? We worked out, you know, what time we would leave the hotel, what time we needed to get to Santa Marta, that's the Pope's residence in the Vatican. It was extraordinary. It was a wet day. We walked through St. Peter's Square. We went to the gate where the Swiss guards are. We went through security. Then we walked up to the next uh, checkpoint with the gendarmerie. And then we got to Santa Marta, where there was a final check with the Swiss guards. And we entered, we went down the stairs, and we met the Pope on the big room on the left, which is the biggest kind of visitor's room in the place. Mm. It's also the place where you can get the best uh, Wi-Fi in in, in, in Santa Marta. <laughs> uh, and then Sam set up the recording. The photographer put in lights, and I got a photographer who took the photos and uh, who did the videos. So we brought our own team basically to the Pope, and nobody in Rome knew it was happening. And you didn't know exactly how long you were going to have. Is that right? No, it wasn't clear how long they... I, I had a, an intuition that the Pope would give us the time we needed. Mm-hmm. But we, we didn't quite know uh, how long it would be. So we had prepared 15 questions. And in the end of the day, I think we asked 10 or 11. Mm-hmm. Then the Pope arrived. Uh, he was due to come in at 3 o'clock. He arrived a little before. Nice. He tends to arrive early for his meetings. Mm-hmm. He came in with a walker. And uh, Elizabeth went and greeted him. And so they chatted, Elizabeth and I, we just come from watching Argentina lose the first World Cup game. Did you have to tell him the result of the football match? Yes, yes, Elizabeth told him and then I... Oh, how did he react? He shook his head. <laughs> and uh, But uh, he was in great form, really. Yeah. The walker, he put it aside. He, he stood up and he greeted everyone standing up. And then he sat down. And then there were some more jokes. Yeah, in all of Carrie's pictures, uh, she is laughing really hard. And and the Pope is standing up, I should say. He looks like he's in good shape. Elizabeth was doing the translating, so she said, can I move a little closer to you? Mm-hmm. He said, yes, I don't bite. <laughs> so there was a lot of good humor to start with. So we, we had the questions. And then at the end, there was a time for photo, photo ops. Although during the photo op, Carrie brought... 
picture, little drawings from her three kids. And their cousins, I think. She got the whole family in on it. So the Pope looked at them all. And uh, then she said, my children wanted to know what animal you like, because some of the drawings were animals. And the Pope said, I haven't a particular animal, but I'm a concentration of all animals. (laughs) And then Carrie just really collapsed laughing, and we see the photo of it. And the Pope gave you some presents too, right? Well, he gave uh, each one presents. I had suggested before we came to meet the Pope that if they wanted to have some things blessed, they would bring them. So uh, people brought a whole quantity of uh, rosaries, medals, I don't know what. They were all there. And so the Pope happily blessed them, which stood for photos with him in a group. And then he had some individual photos. And then he suddenly said, uh, I want to get something. So I said, if you tell me, I'll go. And he said, no, no, no. So he went with his walker to the door and uh, asked the one of the assistants to go to his room. And the assistant brought down seven copies, because we were seven, of Let Us Dream, the book that he had done. He gave each one a rosary beads. He gave each one a book that the Vatican had published Mm. of that famous 27 March during COVID when he stood in St. Peter's Square. There's a beautiful book of that, which he gives to heads of states. So I said, would you be willing to sign them? So he he signed to each one with a little particular dedication, like Sam asked him to sign it for his mother. Uh, I think Matt Malone requested that he sign his for For Glenda, Glenda, our office receptionist. I described Glenda to him as the saint next door because she is such a wonderful lady and she's been there so long for America. She will be overjoyed to hear that. The Pope liked that, so he wrote Glenda and he he wrote something to her. And then... uh, he, he left. Uh, I accompanied him to the door. He shook hands with everybody. But one of the things, Colleen, I've missed out is that during the photo op, Kerry gave me the photo I'd, I'd asked for of you, pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Our listeners don't know that you're pregnant. <laughs> this is the benefit of doing a podcast. They don't know. But yeah, I'm eight and a half months pregnant now. Uh, and Carrie texted me the Friday night before everybody left for Rome. And she said, Colleen, I need you to take a picture with Simon, my husband, really fast and make sure it shows your baby bump. So we went to uh, to our little nursery room where we have a big tree painted on the wall and took a picture. And she had it printed out at Walgreens that night and then took it over to the Pope. So Kerry gave it to me and I gave it to the Pope. And I explained that you did this podcast with me, that you were pregnant and that your baby, God's willing, will be born in early January, around the 6th of January. I have a question. Does the Pope know what a podcast is or did you have to tell him? You know, he, he's quite well into all this modern technology. He doesn't use it. He doesn't yeah. even have a cell phone. He, he blessed it, but he didn't just bless it. He, he looked at the photo and then he put his finger on your tummy in the photo and blessed it like like he does to people in audiences. <laughs> I remember when Elisabetta was pregnant with both Juan Pablo and Carolina, he he put his hand on her tummy and blessed her. And uh, uh, it was very beautiful. Thank you. I'm really thankful that you did that. Somebody said you can see his fingerprints on it. <laughs> did, you, did he keep the photo or did you bring it back? No, no. You, I, Kerry took it back to give to you. Oh, great. Cool. You haven't received it yet. I'll, I'll frame it. I'll hang it in the yeah. baby's room. It was really very beautiful. All right, so I guess that does it for our uh, story behind the story. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll dig into what the Pope had to say in this interview. Stay with us.
So let's dig into what the Pope had to say in this long interview with America Media. Our listeners can read the Pope's words in the interview that's on our website. We'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, And Jerry, in this discussion, you and I will sum up what's relevant, but I really want our conversation to go a little deeper into analyzing the Pope's answers. The first thing I wanted to ask you about has made a lot of news in the couple of days since the interview was published. You asked Pope Francis to clarify his stance on the war in Ukraine to Americans because he's faced a lot of criticism here for not naming Putin or Russia as the aggressor, uh, instead opting to talk about a more general need for ending war, ending the arms trade. And he responded to this by naming names. When I speak about Ukraine, I speak of a people who are martyred. If you have a martyred people, you have someone who martyrs them. When I speak about Ukraine, I speak about the cruelty because I have so much information about the cruelty of the troops that come in. Generally, the cruelest are perhaps those who are of Russia, but are not of the Russian tradition, such as the Chechens, the Burati, and so on. The one who invades is the Russian state. This is very clear. Why do I not name Putin? Because it is not necessary. It is already known. However, sometimes people latch onto a detail. Everyone knows my stance, with Putin or without Putin, without naming him. Now, the Pope's decision to name names in this interview has earned him criticism, both from Russia and from the U.S. Can you tell me about how Russia responded to this? Well, uh, it's very interesting that spokespersons for the Russian foreign ministry Mm -hmm. accused the Pope because he had said that the cruelest are perhaps those who are of Russia but are of not Russian tradition, such as the Chechens and the Buryati and so on. The Chechens are more Muslim, the Buryatis are are more Buddhist. And so Pope Francis made the decision to name these groups as being particularly cruel. He has tended to avoid naming groups. He's spoken about mercenaries before, and these would be... Mm -hmm. Wagner Group, I think. Yes. But he's avoided mention. But he mentioned it. While the Russians reacted on that, and they accused him of being racially harsh, Buddhist leader from the Buryatis says that he was unkind. The uh, political leader from the same area, the Buryatia, accused him of identifying these as the cruelest and said, in any case, we're proud of our soldiers. And if they have been noticed, they must have been doing a good job. The spokesperson for the foreign ministry says, this is no longer Russia-phobia. This is a perversion of a level I'm not aware of. It's not surprising to me that the Russians are critical of these comments, but that criticism has also been picked up uh, in the United States by people who commentate on foreign policy who are saying, you know, for the Pope to call out these minority groups is is maybe not a great look. Like, this blame should have just stayed on the Russians in general. I am curious how you read this in terms of the Vatican's usual diplomatic approach here, which the Pope talks about a bit, you know, that being one of dialogue, of, you know, trying not to offend uh, and in order to keep the paths open for dialogue for a possible way to peace. Here he's kind of pulling no punches, and it seems to be a big break from his usual approach. And I'm I'm wondering if, I don't know, if that wasn't maybe a bad move. My interpretation is that that was the trigger element. But they were very unhappy with the Pope's letter to the Ukrainians on the 24th, on your Thanksgiving Day, 
and where he spoke about what happened under Stalin in 1932 and 33, when millions uh, died of starvation because of Stalin's policies. Uh, they were also very unhappy, and they've said this, that the Pope, in the response to my question, he says, I always refer to Ukraine as a martyred people. And he said, if you have a martyred people, you have somebody who's doing the martyring, who's making the martyrs. And they didn't like that. And then the Pope was very, very clear. He said, certainly, the one who invades is the Russian state. They omit this in any of the criticisms. They don't even call it an invasion. Yeah. They call it a special military operation. So we wanted to talk about Ukraine because that has made the most news. But actually, some of the first questions that our America colleagues asked the Pope were about the U.S. church and particularly about political polarization in this country and also about a lack of trust in the U.S. Bishops Conference. On polarization, the Pope spoke really clearly. The polarization is Catholic. Polarization is not Catholic. A Catholic cannot think either or other and reduce everything to polarization. The essence of what is Catholic is both and, et et. The Catholic unites the good and the not so good. There's only one people of God. When there is polarization, a divisive mentality arises, which privileges some and leaves others behind. The Catholic always harmonizes differences. Now, in the last few years in the U.S., we've seen the political polarization around the issue of abortion in particular play out in the U.S. Bishops' Conference's debate about denying pro-choice Catholic politicians communion. Uh, Y'all didn't ask him specifically about that, but you did talk about the lack of trust in the Bishops' Conference, which has been revealed in surveys that we've published. And you asked him about where abortion should rank among the bishops' priorities. And... His response was interesting. He he started talking about how sometimes bishops' conferences get things wrong. And I wanted to ask you about that, what you take that to, to mean in this context of the U.S. bishops and abortion. Well, he said, when I asked him this question about, I said, the American bishops are prioritizing mm -hmm. the abortion question above all other justice issues. So I, I asked him, and his response was, he says, uh, the d decision is, is up to the bishops' conference to decide how they prioritize things. But, he went on to say, but bishops' conferences do get it wrong. Yeah. And even when the majority vote, maybe the majority is not right. He doesn't call them out, but he's, he's nudging them. And he's making very clear what he'd made in the answer to Sam's question about polarization, because polarization is a central issue in the United States, both in the country and in the church. And he's saying, and the question was, how do you overcome polarization in the church? And he, and he, he made very clear that uh, a bishop has to be a bishop, not an ideologue, not a politician. And he said, you can be, maybe he says on the right or the left, I think he means politically right or left, but he said, you must be a pastor, not going to ideologue. Uh, he said, you can have your political positions, but... Uh, you have to be a pastor. And he keeps coming back to it. And remember, when the bishops were discussing whether to give communion to Biden or not of the whole communion debate, the, the letter from Rome and the answer to my question on the plane coming back from, I think it was Malta, was bishops must be pastors. They must not be political. And in re response to the question about abortion, he says, 
the little fetus is a human being. I don't call it a person because he says that's debated, but it's a human being. And to get rid of it is, is criminal. Yeah, he reiterated much of what he said before on that. Yes, he says, let no political party take this. In other words, he doesn't want this truth hijacked and that one political party becomes the, the, the body that runs with this question. He said, this is a pastoral question. You as bishops, you as church, must look at it from a pastoral point of view. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, there are many questions around this, you know, how, how do you do that? But, but he, he, he kept insisting, the one who has responsibility above all is the local bishop in the local diocese. He says, Jesus created bishops. He did not create bishops' conferences. This is a real yeah. soundbite that will remain, I think, it's gone around the world. I've seen it being picked up in other countries because the tendency to have polarization within the bishops' conference impacts on the credibility of the bishops. And uh, the, the figure that was mm -hmm. presented to him that 20% of American Catholics, when surveyed by America, put the bishops' conference as the least trustworthy in terms of faith and morals. There's one more thing that came up about trustworthiness of bishops. And this is something that we were recently talking about when we spoke about the wave of abuse revelations that have been rocking France in recent months. Sam Sawyer, our incoming editor-in-chief, asked the Pope about abuse cases involving bishops, and he specifically talked about bishops who had been credibly accused of abuse, like Bishop Santier in France, uh, who have been allowed to retire quietly. And he asked how the church can ensure greater transparency in cases, abuse cases concerning bishops. Here's what he said. Here I believe we have to go forward with equal transparency. If there is less transparency, it is a mistake. For Francis was very clear here. He, he was saying the church has taken a position we do not cover up. He said, secondly, therefore we must go forward with shame and determination, but with transparency equal transparency, because they were saying the church is very quick on kind of jumping, punishing the priests, but when it comes to bishops, it really is going another path. Now, what he was asked was how the church can ensure that kind of equal transparency, and he didn't really answer that. He just said, you know, we need to go forward with equal transparency. He, he said we have to have to have equal transparency. So he's referring to the contrast was between how the priests are treated and how the bishops. And if there is less transparency, that is a mistake. Jerry, let's go on to the final thing we wanted to talk about, which has also been catching a lot of attention from this interview, which is the question of women's ordination, which is always going to catch a lot of attention. Our colleague, Carrie Weber, asked Pope Francis about women's ordination, and she specifically asked what he would say to a woman who's serving the church but still feels called to the priesthood. And he didn't really speak to that possible woman, but... He did give an interesting insight into how he thinks about this question theologically, which I think went into some more depth than, than we've heard him go into before on this. So just to sum it up, and he's borrowing from the Swiss theologian Hunters von Balthasar here, he says, there's three dimensions of the church. There's the Petrine principle or the ministry of priests, which is modeled on St. Peter. Then there's the Marian principle or dimension of the church, which is this idea of the church as being the spouse of Christ, modeled on Mary being the spouse of God because they had a child together and the church is called to bear fruit in the world. 
And then there's a, a third dimension he mentioned, which I think isn't theological, but he brought it up as being important, which is the administrative dimension of the church. And he says that women should have a place in that, that it shouldn't be limited just to priests. Why can a woman not enter ordained ministry? It is because the Petrin principle has no place for that. Yes, one has to be in the Marian principle, which is more important. Women is more, she looks more like the church, which is mother and spouse. I believe that we have too often failed in our catechesis when explaining these things. We have relied too much on the administrative principle to explain it, which in the long term does not work. Well, first of all, Francis, in a way like John Paul, says that Mary was more important than Peter. In other words, woman is more important than the papacy. He, secondly, he is saying that under the Petrine principle, that's the ministry and the life of the church, there is no place for woman. He said before that John Paul II has pronounced on this question. And of course, really, what you're at here, Colleen, you've got the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches are on this same position. The uh, many of the Protestant churches, or the churches after the Reformation, uh, uh, have opened the doors to the priesthood of women. So you, you've got this fact in the Christian world. But he's saying that this is our position. Secondly, he said, if you only have the Petrine principle, you really have, uh, you, you don't have a real church. If you just have ministry without people, you don't have church. And uh, he, he's saying that really there is a lot of place for women in the church. We haven't developed it properly. We haven't, even in our catechesis, developed it properly. And he says, uh, th this is where there is space. And then he said, there is the third principle, the administrative principle, which is what he's done when he separated power, the power of orders, the power of, of governance from orders, these holy orders in the church. Right. And appointed women. And he's appointed women. He said there's a lot of that, but he said it doesn't really answer the, the, the overall question. He admits that, more or less, in the interview. He doesn't say it quite in that way, but it, it, that was the, what I took from it, that he's saying we've got to give more space to women, more roles to women, more positions to women, etc. But th th there is a stopping point, and that is the priesthood. And uh, he spent a lot of time, if you look actually, our listeners who go and read the text, they will see he devoted a lot of time, perhaps more to that and the question of polarization than any other issue we raised. I know many of our listeners, women listeners, will not be so happy with his answer, but I think they should also understand that under his two predecessors, John Paul II and Benedict XVI, it would have been very difficult to raise this question with the Pope and get a long response. The fact that it can be raised is something. Yeah, I agree that that in itself is a big deal, especially after John Paul in 1994 declared this question totally closed to discussion. Um, I think that the way that Francis talks about this, where he makes it clear that he's absolutely like closed on the question, it is a closed question, but then encourages dialogue on it, it makes me wonder how open to discussion he really is on it. And then the other reaction that I had was that, you know, this this Marian principle uh, really applies to all of the laity 
in in my reading of it at least in my reading of Balthazar it's you know Mary is the church as a whole not just women and so really this this doesn't apply just to women and so I think to use it as your like stand-in theology of women doesn't really work because it also includes laymen. It also includes the whole laity. Well, this is a whole discussion, Colleen, because he sees he speaks about Mary as mother, Mary as 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 woman, Mary as spouse. Mm-hmm. But then it's it's a whole discussion. And totally, what he's saying is there's a lot more theology needs to be done on this. What Francis is doing, in fact, look at what he's done, doing in the Vatican. He's giving more and more space to women in the Vatican, even quite recently. Yeah, even his actions follow this trajectory of his speech, which is to uh, give more opportunities to women all the way up to ordination, right? But he's, he draws a line there. Well, from the Amazon Senate, he knows very well, women are doing everything. They're baptizing, they're assisting at funerals, they're assisting at weddings, they're visiting the sick, they're taking communion, they're running communities where there's no priests. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know that we can say any more, but... Uh, Let's say of all the answers, it seemed to be the one that left more questions. Yeah, definitely. And it sparked a ton of discussion, which I'm happy to see. I think that, you know, the if the church is confident in its teaching on this, then it should not be afraid of discussion on this. Real quick before we go, I wanted to ask you about this last question <laughs> that you asked the Pope, uh, where you asked him, you know, you're coming up on 10 years as Pope. What do you regret anything or would you have done anything differently? And he had a very funny response to you. Well, I I said to him slowly in English, because I know that he understands English, I said, You have now been Pope 10 years. Yes. (laughs) And you look back, is there three things that you would have done differently or you regret? And he answered me in English. And then I said, well, if you look back, are there three things? Because the Jesuits tend to work in threes, and he's always using threes. I said, are there three things that you would have done differently or that you regret? And he said, four. Four. All. All. All differently. All in English. What does that mean? He, he was laughing a lot. So it, but then he the the serious part came. However, I did what the Holy Spirit was telling me I had to do. He's talking as Pope, and when I did not do it, I made a mistake. Of course, I couldn't do the follow up question. Well, which mistakes did you make? And uh, he he has said I've made mistakes, and he's he's asked forgiveness for them. And uh, there are a few instances of, in the papacy of a Pope doing just that. Totally. All right, Jerry, if our listeners want to read this whole interview and also our additional content about it, you've written a a summary piece. Carrie Weber wrote a personal reflection about this. Those will all be linked in the episode description. And yeah, highly recommend just reading the whole thing. It went into so much more than we were able to summarize here. But Jerry, thank you. Congratulations on landing an interview with the Pope. And we will talk to you next week, which will hopefully be a calmer week. Yes. And Colleen, I think we should tell our listeners that uh, this is the transition point between Mm -hmm. one editor-in-chief and another. Mm -hmm. As we are talking, Matt Malone is still editor-in-chief after 10 years, and we say goodbye to him. 
And when they listen to this, we will have a new editor-in-chief, Sam Sawyer. And we say welcome to him. Sam has had an unbeatable introduction to the job, <laughs> thanks to you. <laughs> All right, Jerry, we'll talk to you next week. Inside the Vatican is a production of America Media. This episode was produced by Maggie Van Dorn and Ricardo Da Silva. Audio editing by Kevin Christopher Robles. Production assistance from Cristobal Spielman at America Media and Robert Balasser at the Jesuit Curia in Rome. Our executive producer is Sebastian Gomes. To keep up with the latest Vatican coverage from America Magazine, follow us on Twitter at INSDE Vatican Pod. That's inside without the second I, Vatican Pod. And you can find all of our news coverage and spirituality content at americamagazine.org. While you're there, please consider becoming a digital subscriber to America Magazine. It's really easy to do, and it's the best way to support our work here on Inside the Vatican. For America Media with Gerard O'Connell, I'm your host and producer, Colleen Deli. We'll see you next time. Have you ever wanted to dive deeper into scripture? If so, you're in luck, because every day there's a new scripture reflection from the thoughtful staff at America Media, thinking through big questions together, like, what do Catholics believe about guardian angels? And what can Gen Zers take away from the Gospels? If you're already a subscriber, you can access these reflections in your email inbox or on our website. If you'd like to become a digital subscriber, it's easy to do. Just visit americamagazine.org slash subscribe, and you'll have full access to America's scripture reflections.